Techno Babble. I'm Carl Heath, your host. We're talking about what is the cloud. Now the cloud, well, that's something that you hear a lot of people in IT talk about. It's quite a common terminology over the last few years. And often when I say the cloud, a lot of people will roll their eyes at me or give me a funny look. The expression has almost become associated with a bit of BS and a buzzword and all the things that, kind of all the things that no techno babble what is. What I thought I'd do really this week. be about. Try and dispel some of the myths around what the cloud is. Tell you what it actually is. Cut through some of the BS that's around it. Because when you don't know what something is, you're likely to fear it. And when you fear something, you're likely not to try it out. And if you don't try it out, you're not likely to get the benefit from it. And as those who will listen to this podcast know, I'm a big advocate of cloud working. It is massively beneficial to businesses and can give them such a, an edge on their competitors and opportunities that it's something you have to consider, but you can't consider it unless you know what it is. Okay, where do we get started? Well, the cloud as a term was really sort of popularized in the mid noughties, uh, somewhere around 2005, 2006, when Amazon started to use the expression, they had something called Elastic Compute Cloud which in itself is a bit of a mouthful. But this was really the first time that that word cloud was used to describe the concept of a big provider providing a service to thousands and thousands of people. So it started to grow from there in the common vernacular, you may say. But actually, the reason why it's called cloud runs all the way back to around about 1977, and in 1977, there was a predecessor of the internet, which was called ARPANET. The ARPANET was really a military network, the backbone of a military and a scientific research network that then later on was developed on top of to become the internet and then the internet as we know it today. And the symbol of a cloud was used on schematic diagrams in ARPANET to show the links between physical sites or locations. And it did it to simplify things. You didn't actually have to understand what the connection was between the two buildings. They were linked together by this object that was a cloud. And what was important was that you understood that the buildings were linked together. So the cloud really goes back to this original schematic from 1977. So as with all things that we find when we dig into them, that actually they're not brand new and they've been around for a long time. And this term of the cloud, although popularized now, it's been around for a long time, and that's its origin. Its origin was in a schematical drawing, which would have been in 1977, drawn by hand by a draftsman, and it was used to represent the connectivity between two buildings or physical sites. While we're in the 1970s, 1977, and I was around three years old, let's stick in that period of time. This was a period in time in history in which computing was finally becoming not widespread in the business community, but people knew computers existed in businesses, particularly in those in industries such as banking. And this was the era of the mainframe computer or the mini, mini computer as it was called, uh, whichever one you want to call it, it was the same concept. It was a great big computer system that would be in a room or a building somewhere and you connected to it and took turns or multitasked on that computer. And by multitask, I mean multiple people could connect to it at the same time and get the computer to perform tasks for you. It was a completely centralized system. And those of you who are old enough, those of you who are of my age, will remember green screens, as they were called. They were VDUs, visual display units, and you used to sit down at a desk 
and in front of you was the computer and the computer had a keyboard and it had a tiny screen that had green characters usually on the front of it and the green was literally because that was in the display and often the green was even actually a sticker that was on the screen front it wasn't even displaying a green character behind it. it was a sticker that when the light shone through it it looked green to your eyes so there was no mouse and all you got in front of you was a computer keyboard and a screen and a green screen and when you connected and started using that computer actually what you were doing was sending keystrokes to the central computer and the central computer was sending the answers back which were visually displayed on the screen for you so it was centralized computing centralized computing was huge in the 1960s and 1970s and the primary reason for that was well computers were really really expensive and they were really really big they were physically huge so they were not going to fit on your desk. There, were, there was no way you could have a computer on your desk. There was nothing that was powerful enough. You had to have a centralized computer. It would have cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds to own these computers. And they were used by very, very big businesses, such as the banking industry. You would have seen them in stocks and shares and other industries like that. Insurance, probably the airline industry. Pretty sure airline industry would have used mainframes in those days. These are the kind of organizations we're using. And people were buying computers from companies like IBM. And they were connecting to them from green screens. So this was a whole centralized concept. You didn't keep anything on the device. The device was really something that presented the screen to you. And all the power and all the computing was done at the centralized level. Now, does that sound familiar to something that might be happening today with your mobile phone? And people like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of these? Perhaps it does. So the idea of this cloud computing, as you might say, is actually centralized computing. So cloud means centralized computing, and they're pretty interchangeable. So the concept of a cloud computer is really something that's been around for a long, long time, and it's called centralized computing, and it's equivalent to the old, main, the old mainframe concept of the 60s and 70s. What you might be thinking to yourself is, okay, if this centralized computing concept was so good, how come it disappeared? And we all had personal computers. We are PCs. Because most of us, most of us, our memories of computers have been over the last, of the last 25 years, a lot of us have got a memory of computers for about mid-1995, somewhere around 1995 for 10 years forward. That was the advent of Windows 95 through to the end of Windows XP and the starting of Windows 7. We've got a lot, a lot of memory of that period of time of computing history. And that was all about the desktop computer that was in front of you. And that was nothing to do with centralized computing and perhaps this is why the concept of the cloud now becomes a bit of a misnomer to people because, they're, well, hang on a minute, I was told for years and years and years that that's the wrong way to do it, and now you're telling me it's the right way to do it. And when, when you contradict yourself and you cause those kind of dichotomies in people's minds, it causes them, again, to be fearful and not to want to make a change. And this is why it's important to understand. So let's roll back a bit to the end of the 1970s again, and we'll start around 1980. And in 1980, IBM who were pretty much the world's biggest computer company at the time, realized that the idea of centralized computing was going to change because of the advent of microprocessors that had more power. And in particular, they were looking at the 8086 processor from Intel that allowed 16-bit processing. Now, I'm not going to get into too much technical detail because I don't think any of us want to get into the infrastructure of how a microprocessor works. And if you do, you probably already understand it anyway. But the concept is IBM recognized that there was going to be more power in computers that could sit on your desk in front of you and they were going to get cheaper and 
being a business who wanted to stay in business, they recognized this and saw the opportunity to move into this market. So IBM started to create the personal computer. That was their brand name. They created the personal computer and what they wanted to do then was to put an operating system on that personal computer, which is where Microsoft comes in. Microsoft had been running around since 1975 at this point and in a whole aside story that's very fascinating and really does speak volumes of what Microsoft did and will do to become the world's richest company, which they are again at the moment. There's a fascinating story about did Microsoft do a bit of a deal to get the IBM PC over another company and what tactics they use. Very, very fa fascinating stuff when you look into this and it's all to do with debt research and CPM operating system and what happened. The culmination of what happened was Microsoft got the deal with IBM. Microsoft got the deal with IBM and they released Microsoft DOS. Microsoft Disk Operating System, it went on the personal computer and then the personal computer went up and up and up through the 1980s. More and more businesses got a computer on a desk. More and more businesses got multiple computers on the desk and the personal computer took off. And it kept, it kept growing and growing and growing. And many of us will remember, by 1995, Bill Gates became the world's richest man. All based off the sale and growth of the Windows operating system that was pretty much ubiquitous on all computers across the world. And let's be honest, it's pretty ubiquitous still now. But those of us who started our careers in work in the 90s will know that you know, Windows was, was it. You might have a Mac if you were a design agency or something like that, and not even that many design agencies back then, but if you did that kind of work, you'd have a Mac, but everybody else had a Windows PC in a beige box that sat on their desk with a big fat monitor on top of it. And so we'd gone full transition. So the concept of, of centralized computing and mainframes had almost disappeared by 1995. Everything was about the desktop computer and the computer that was in front of you on your desk. And it was about building networks inside your building. And then something popped up that even Bill Gates himself recognized that he'd missed on. And that was the internet. Although the internet had, as I've discussed earlier on, been around in one shape or another since the 1970s, by the mid-1990s, it was really, really beginning to take off. It was accessible from home via a modem over a phone line. And the internet brought back the idea of networking all the computers in the world together. And this started to make a big change. And by the mid-2000s, the speed that you could access the internet had made meant that the concept of you connecting to a central computer was starting, was starting to look like it might be a viable solution. And the reason it was going to be a viable solution, <coughs> excuse me, was the power that you could put on a computer on your desktop was not equivalent to the power that somebody could build in a data center and then provide to you over the internet. So we started to go back to the concept that if you wanted to get more done, you could rent or access my bigger computer over the internet and you could do more and you wouldn't have to buy an expensive computer for your desktop or anything like that. You could use your existing computer or your existing, well, in fact, in, if we're talking the mid 2000s, there weren't any smartphones at that point because they hadn't come out until 2009. We really are just talking desktops and laptops. But this is where Amazon started to get with the program. Amazon had been building data centers across the world in order to provide its Amazon.com store. And Amazon realized that in order to provide the infrastructure to run its website and sell its product and grow its business, it had a lot of spare capacity. And it thought, well, that spare capacity could be sold. So Amazon then 
moved into Amazon Web Services where they started to use the spare capacity in their own data centers to provide other companies with high powerful computing that could be accessed over the internet to provide websites to other business for other businesses to provide websites to their customers without having to buy the infrastructure. So Amazon started with this concept again. They reinvented this concept of the centralized computer that was followed up pretty quickly by Google and Microsoft as well. Google got with the program too and introduced the Google Cloud and in 2010 Microsoft they produced Azure which is their version of it. And those are the three big players in that industry. AWS, Amazon Web Services, are still the biggest by at least a third over the other two providers, Google and Microsoft. However, Google and Microsoft's offering uh, is pretty competent and pretty big. Google being heavily, heavily involved in the AI aspect of it, the artificial intelligence aspects of what they do in their, in their Google Cloud, and Microsoft in moving desktops and Windows computers to their cloud as well. So we'd come all full circle now from the late 1980s where everything's centralized, then through to the mid-1990s where everybody had a PC on the desktop and the idea for the future was that everybody would have personal computers. And now we're back to 2010 and the idea is that centralized computing again is coming back. And the real reason that this really, really got going was the speed of the connection to the internet was getting faster and faster. Broadband had become available to most people things called leased lines, which fiber optic connectivity to the internet was, was cheaper and cheaper. So getting on the internet was getting faster and faster. And this meant that you had to have less power on the computer in front of you, and you could connect to a computer that was in a data center and get more power. And of course, if you don't have to buy the computer in front of you, it costs you less money to get started. You don't have to look after it and maintain it. It doesn't, you can use, you don't have to keep it in a building that's air conditioned. You don't have to put electrical backup power supply, if the power goes out, all of these things disappear when you connect to somebody else's computer. That's what really started to get this to take off. And we've seen it grow exponentially since the 2010 era. We saw 2009, saw the iPhone release, the, the idea of an app on a phone, on a smart device. This was followed up by the iPad. And then we've just seen the huge, huge growth of Twitter, Instagram, G Suite, Office 365, Spotify, YouTube, Google, all of these things, all cloud-based, all massive, all accessible on our home devices, on our personal mobile phones, because the speed of the internet has got faster. We don't need to have a powerful device in our hand, although ironically, because of Moore's law, the devices that we generally do have in our hands are extremely powerful, but they're not anywhere near compared to the power that you will get out of the data center provider from, from Amazon or Google or Microsoft. The whole idea of centralized computing has gone boom. And this is where we are right now. Cloud computing is centralized computing. And what it really means is there are huge warehouse buildings full of computers that are connected to the internet. I mean, you just go on YouTube and just Google Google Data Center on YouTube and have a look at what they've got. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of computers in racks, in date, in great big warehouses that are ran 24 7 with with specific heating and cooling requirements they have failover electrical uh, systems in place you can't get near the places without super levels of security so your data is very secure it's a very efficient and secure way to access services and you as the end user or you as the business that wants to provide a service to its customers all you have to do is pay for the services that you want to you want to access you don't have to buy thousands and thousands of pounds worth of computer equipment that starts depreciating the moment you own it we have moved towards this subscription model of accessing services pay for what you use and then you can resell what you use onto other people 
and that's where we are now. And this is the big idea behind cloud. Really, what you're doing is you're swapping out capital expenditure, maintenance and depreciation for operational expenditure. And in the small business level, in the small business level, this used to be every three to five years you would spend. And if I remember in my previous business, some customers would spend me 10 and 50,000 pounds every three to five years on a series set of servers, new network switches, software upgrades in their businesses in order to run their solicitor's practices, their accountancy practices, their manufacturing plants. It was always the same. They'd have to run all of this stuff. They'd have to have a big cabinet in the building. They'd have to pay to replace it every three to five years. We'd come and install it, upgrade Windows to this version. The server would get upgraded. The database would get upgraded. And all of this had a cost associated with it. And it was all capital expenditure. And then on with that was maintenance, which we were provided. We, we provided the maintenance. And from the moment you'd bought the equipment, it started to depreciate and get older. So it was, it was only going in one direction. It was going downhill from the moment you, you'd got it. And what Cloud has done is remove that and say, well, don't do that. Switch to operational expenditure. Switch to paying for how much you use, a bit like you do with your utilities at home, your gas, electric. You pay for what you use. You don't buy an electrical generator and put it on your property and your house and then put your own electricity into your house. You just pay the electricity company for what you use. And this is the concept of the cloud. So you, the, the cloud provider will say, you know, if you're going to move to Google G Suite, how many users have you got? I've got uh, 30 people in the business. Okay, that's 30 people. And this is how much it is per month. And then you pay for each month or 12 months at a time. Pretty much the same sort of costs, really. Not too much in it. And it's ongoing. So, you, But, and this is the good thing, you add two users. You just pay for two extra users. You take away two users. You pay for less. You've got flexibility for your business, which you didn't have when you bought infrastructure. You bought infrastructure. It was based on what you predicted you were going to do. So if you had a downturn, you will, you'd paid more than you needed. And if you suddenly had a growth spurt in your business, you'd find that what you'd invested in wasn't enough, and then you'd have to buy some more. Well, when you're on a cloud service, you simply turn up the volume to 11. You just pay for a little bit more that you want to use. And what's interesting about this concept of cloud computing for a business is it's really reducing the barrier to entry for a business to benefit from a software solution. In the past, if you knew in your business you could really benefit from a new system or an additional system that you haven't got, you knew you could get advantage, but then you'd look at, right, okay, well, okay, well, we're going to have to find the right software package. Then we're going to need to test it out. Then we need hardware to run it. Then we'll need the IT guys to deploy it. Then we'll need to have a support package to maintain it. And suddenly you'd be looking at it and going, you know what? The cost of doing this does not return the not value anyway. that I expected it to in the business. And you likely go, oh, no, let's not do it. Let's not bother with that project. We'll carry on doing what we've always done in the past, or we'll wait and we'll do a bigger project, or we'll buy a bigger piece of software that does everything at once. And so, and that rarely do you ever find those things. So, what cloud enables you to do now is if you want to run up a small project for six people in the business who are going to do some design work, or they're going to do a marketing project, or they're going to do a small project, you can now go online, you can find a piece of software, you can subscribe to it for six months by paying for six users per month for a six month period of time, do the project, get going really quickly, and then stop at the end of it really quickly. And all it's cost you is the cost that it took for those six people over that six month. You no longer have to buy any hardware to do it. You don't have to buy an additional support or maintenance contract. You have to maintain any equipment or any software to do it because that's all done by the provider in the one cost. And that's a really, really flexible way for the business to move. And a key point to it is that you don't have to have any technical expertise in your business, either from your own IT people or from your IT provider in order to do this. All you actually have to do 
is know what it is that you want to do in the business from a business perspective, know what you want to achieve and buy the software to do it and start doing it. So you are removing the need for technical people in the business, for those technicians, uh, those kind of people in the business. And you're focusing on enabling your employees to run teams together and do what they do best in whatever or whatever skill they've got. And that's a big difference from the past. Cloud, again, centralized computing, is by its own nature location independent. So this means that you can run a team of people from Manchester or Birmingham in the UK, for example, and they can both work on the same system at the same time without any complexity in having to work out how we connect those two offices together. If you then open a third office in London, you haven't got to add any equipment to connect that office to Birmingham or Manchester, and you haven't got to decide which one of Birmingham or Manchester would have hosted or held the servers on site. None of this has to be done. All that you do is add additional users and connect them to the internet. And this is extremely freeing for smaller and growing businesses to be able to do what they want to do. You don't have to have all of these expensive costs. You can have people who pick up a laptop and work from any location and access the system. So you can add an independent person who's out of Glasgow on their own now, and they can take part in the system from Glasgow without them having to have an expensive connection. We would have done this in the old day with things called VPNs. And you would have had site-to-site links. And it would have been horrendously expensive to have run up teams from Birmingham, Manchester, London and Glasgow to work on a project together. And in fact, no one would have done it. You wouldn't have done it over six months unless you had a lot of money. You wouldn't have bothered. You would have made people meet together physically or you just wouldn't have bothered doing it. Now you can say, let's do that project. Let's do this computer-aided design, this CAD project to make this piece of... Uh, machinery for the in steel and we can run it together from these four locations we'll put the team together with the best people and we're going to come up with this product and take it to market within 12 months and you can do that now by using clouds cloud systems and that was just impossible a few years ago absolutely impossible to do it with and make it profitable and now you can and that is extremely freeing for businesses to be able to do that i know this one from first hand back in the day performance was an issue i cannot think of a day in which somebody didn't tell me their computer would could be a bit faster and it was a bit slow and was was the system slow this was extremely common and extremely infuriating for anybody who worked in it support from the 90s forward till about well within the last few years and for some people they're still going through it now performance is removed with cloud computing because either It has a level of performance. For example, G Suite has a level of performance. You don't choose a level of performance with G Suite. It operates at a level of performance. And that level of performance is is seamless. It's imperceivable. It does what you want it to do as long as your internet speed connection is good. And by good, G Suite will operate really well over a 2 meg connection. And let's be honest, most of us have long since seen 2 meg connections. If you've got 10 meg and above, it's brilliant. And if you've got faster than that, you can't work as quick as the computer will. So it's imperceptible now about performance. If you run a database in the cloud in Azure or something and you take one of Microsoft SQL databases, where you can you have little sliders that say how much performance you give the database and you pay for it. So if you've got 100 customers connecting into your database for your app and it's running fine and then you do a marketing drive and suddenly you've got 500 customers and you find that it's not as fast for your customers, you can just slide the little bar up and you can give it more performance there and then. Microsoft will charge you for that. But, you know, hey, you've got 400 more customers than you had before, so you're making more money. So you want to keep delivering the service to your customers. So you slide the bar up. That's it. No planning. No one in IT has to work out how many, what the upgrades are, how many more servers they've got to buy. You literally get a slider bar, slide it up, and have a look at how much more it costs you. So the 
increase in performance as you scale your business now leaves being a technical thing and becomes a sales and marketing. It becomes a what is the cost of acquisition of a customer concept. This is how many, for every X number of customers that we take on board, we have to increase performance by X. That costs Y. Therefore, we can work out Z, which is the cost of acquisition. And it becomes a business decision and not a technical decision. And this is really, really critical to what cloud brings to a business. It stops you being reliant on technical decisions that were provided by people who worked in the IT world who often struggled to see things from a sales and marketing perspective and a P&L perspective and from a business growth perspective and enables you as a business leader to actually run what you want in your business without having to bring those people into the mix. And that's tough for me to say because I was one of those people for a long, long time. But what you've got to realise is that that isn't where the world is anymore and you've got to change your, your skills and you've got to think about things in a different way and a different approach, which is what No, no Techno Babble is all about. It's about helping people in the business world to use technology to achieve their dreams and their goals for their businesses. Productivity, another boon with cloud computing. And I'm going to roll it back to something really simple again. We'll go back to G Suite. We'll take you back to something really simple that everybody does every day, which is share data with a few other people, You know, sharing a document or a spreadsheet or something of that nature, something really simplistic and small. In the past, we would attach things to emails and send them to each other. And although it, it works, I can attach a spreadsheet and I can email it to you and you can open the spreadsheet. It's a it's still slow because I've got to write the email, attach the spreadsheet, send it to you. You receive it, open it, have a look at the spreadsheet, update it. And then you've got to send it back to me. Now, at that point, you've got to be a bit smart because if you not careful, that spreadsheet that you open from the email is actually a temporary file on Windows. And when you actually go back to send the spreadsheet, you can't find the spreadsheet because it's hidden somewhere, buried in the monstrosity that is the Windows temp file. And what you then do is you have to pick up the phone and you have to phone your IT support help desk and ask them to raise a ticket so that they can find that file for you so you can send it back to me, which they'll do. However, if they're a great IT support company, maybe they'll solve that straight away or maybe they'll solve it in an hour or two. If they're a crappy IT support company, that's not going to get done until tomorrow. How much time have we wasted already? And then even when they do fix this for you, the chances are they will do it for you and you won't understand what was done. And when you send, when I send you back the spreadsheet again, the same problem occurs and it repeats itself ad nauseum. This is weary and tired. This is the old school way of doing it. Now, how would we do that in the cloud way? What's the cloud way of doing it? Well, the cloud way is I'm going to send you the spreadsheet, except this time I'm going to send you a link to a Google Sheet. And when you click on the link that you get in the email, it opens up in your web browser, the spreadsheet in front of you in Google Sheets. It's in the web browser in front of you. Now you can see the spreadsheet. If I want you to edit that spreadsheet, I've enabled you to edit that spreadsheet. And you can make changes to it. And if it's a super secure spreadsheet, what I'll be able to do is send you that spreadsheet with a link. When you click on the link, it'll pop up on the screen and it will say, enter your PIN number. And you have to put your mobile phone number in that I've already specified. You've got to put your mobile phone number in to receive the PIN so that you can access the spreadsheet. So that makes it even more secure. So now we've got ways that the data is maintained and secure. So I know only the person that I want to share that spreadsheet with can access it because I've specified that. So we're getting into cleverer ways of working. And at the end of the day, how important is data these days? It is the currency, the commodity. Data is everything. And we know this because we're forever seeing in the media about Google taking this, Microsoft taking that, everyone wants your data, Facebook, you know, they're the worst for it. 
data is everything and your data is everything it's super super valuable and when you send someone an attachment you lose control of it you send someone a spreadsheet you lose control of it it's gone it's out it's lost it's left your building when you send someone a link to a cloud document you maintain control if i don't want you to have access to that file i revoke it straight away i stop you having access you can't get access to it if you share that link then with somebody else they haven't got the pin number to get into it because they can't they can't request the pin to the mobile phone number that i specified so they can't get into it now we've got some real security on the data. And let's think about how fast it was. I send you an email with a link in it. You click on the link, you open it, you're in the spreadsheet, you can view the data, you can see it. Brilliant. You then email me back going, yep, that's exactly what I thought, Carl, let's do it. Or if it's if I want you to edit that data, you can edit it directly into that spreadsheet. And with a Google Sheet, I can see you editing it at the same time. So back at my desk, I can then go into the spreadsheet and edit it. And on the screen, you see a little color you know blue and red meet one for me one for you and you see his editing it at the same time so that's collaboration in real time this saves a massive amount of time if you think back to what i was talking about before when you were sending an email back and forth and you have to go to the help desk and it's somewhere in the temp files and they do it for you and all that hoo-ha now we've shared a spreadsheet together we've worked on it and we've done it in minutes and that is money saved it is time saved and time is money and time's the one thing in life that nobody can buy no one nobody can buy any more time we've not worked that out yet time is the one thing that all of us get through at exactly the same rate no matter how rich or how poor or whoever we are so this is a big big deal with cloud computing it saves time and time is money and time means you can do more and you can do more of the better things for your customers you can delight your customers. You can spend time focusing on how to make things better for you, developing new services. You can engage with them, talk to them. You are not wasting time on tedious tasks of sending information back and forwards. You are going to revolutionize how your business operates when you work with collaborative tools like G Suite in the cloud. Finally, well, finally-ish, I'm going to move on to one of the other things that we used to have to deal with in traditional IT support. And that was one of the most difficult and expensive things that any business had to deal with. And that was the idea of what was called disaster recovery or business continuity, which disaster recovery meant if the building burnt down, what would you do? And business continuity meant if no one could get into the building, the snow, a big power outage, somebody put a digger through the internet connection, etc. what would you do? Cloud computing solves this problem in a very interesting way. If you're a smaller business and you're a service-based business, so you might say you're a design marketing agency, you are an accountant, you are solicitors, you are a professional services-based business, and you have a disaster. The building you're in has a fire and it destroys the office that you're in. That's a tough time for anybody, but the business has to go on. You know that, so what do you do about it? Now, in the old days, you would have destroyed all of your servers and your infrastructure in the fire. So that means you would have been onto your IT people and said, right, how do we restore this? And they go, we got the backups. Okay, so now what have you got to do? Well, now you've got to buy new servers and new equipment. That means you've got a capital expenditure that needs to happen. That means you've got to specify it all out very quickly. You've got to get the IT people to rebuild it. Then they've got to put the data back onto it. And then you've got to put it somewhere because it physically takes up space. It's got to go in an office. You've got to find a temporary office while you do it. This is expensive stuff. And not only expensive, but time consuming. It takes way, way, way longer than people ever imagine. I had a fire happen at Further Education College. And it destroyed the top floor of the building. And it destroyed all the infrastructure at the top floor of the building. We did actually get out with the server because the bursar of the college actually picked up the server and physically carried it out when the fire started. So some smart thinking from that person there. So we had the server, but we didn't have any of the other infrastructure. We lost all the PCs, lost all the networking. 
And you know, it took multi. It took over a week for them to find a new place to actually operate the administration function of the college from. For them to acquire a building, a space in the building, because they hadn't worked that out. Then we had to put the server in. We had to then connect it to the computers, which had to be replaced. They had to be ordered and bought, which the college had to pay for. And it took a long time to get that done. And they hadn't lost the data in the server. We had the data in the server. This was simply to get the infrastructure, the computers, and the network back together for them. It was a big deal. If you've lost the data as well. And you've got to restore it. You know, if you don't know how long it's going to take, it could take weeks. And weeks might be enough for you, your business, to get itself into such a position that it can't get back out of it. There's a reason why a lot of stats say that businesses don't recover from a disaster, that they don't get back on their feet, that it finishes them off and it's the end of their business. And there's a reason for it. And the reason is that people don't understand what it actually takes to recover when a building is completely lost by a fire or a flood or something of that nature. Let's say that the worst doesn't happen because it doesn't happen very often. Okay, let's say I'm, I'm going a bit over the top. Let's go back to business continuity. Let's go back to something simple, a snow day. We have a big batch of snow and no one can get to work. Okay, that seems fairly realistic and it happens in the winter. It's pretty tricky. The roads are bad enough as it is these days, let alone when there's snow. If all of your equipment is inside your office, then you've got to at least have worked out how you're going to access it remotely, which means you may have had to invest it in things like VPNs, you may have to have invested in laptops for your people to take home that have got the appropriate software on them so they can connect into the office. You've got to be geared up for it. So you've got some level of expenditure so uh, that enables people to connect into the office. If they need to use pieces of software that are, say, Sage accounts or another database system, you might have had to have invested in what was called a remote desktop solution, which is a Windows computer multiple people can access at the same time to run a piece of software. You'll probably know what it is if you've used one of those. And again, that has a more expensive licensing from Microsoft. It's quite an expensive investment to do. And you've got to have geared up for it. So you've got to have geared up for this on the basis that you might have a snow day in the winter. Because let's say when you don't have a snow day, you don't need that system. You don't need that system normally. Everyone comes to work and sits at their desks. So now you've been asked to spend many thousands of pounds to buy a backup system that you might not need. And okay, I'm not saying that you'd be naive about these things, that you might need it or you might not need it. But what if you didn't need it? Well, that was a nice waste of money over three years if you didn't need it. You certainly could have spent that X amount of money. And when I used to work with, say, a 30-user solicitor business, that might be an extra £5,000 on their capital expenditure every three years for this kind of system. Well, that's money that could be better spent elsewhere. Now... What happens if they're a cloud-based business? Let's say they're a cloud-based business where, where their legal practice software is in the cloud, their accountancy software is in the cloud, and their documents and their data are in G Suite. What happens when we get the snow day? Nobody drives to work. Okay, we understand that. Then what happens? Most people have got a computer of sort at home. And if you've already scouted this out with your key employees and said to them, okay, what's your computer system you've got at home? Some people have a PC, some will have a laptop, some will just have a tablet. Often these days they'll have a tablet. Okay, if you know you've got key people in the business who have to work even if it snows, those who do payroll, for example, and accounts, you know, keep those things moving. Well, you get them a laptop in the business for at the office, and then they can take the laptop home. So you're already geared up. So you've thought ahead of it, and you've got them laptops. They take the laptops home. They're expecting the snow. The snow comes. They can't go to work. All they do then is connect their laptop to their home Wi-Fi, and they access the cloud services exactly the same as where they were. They want to answer the phone. Well, the phone works too. If you've got a cloud-based phone system, it will ring on your mobile phone as an app. 
it will ring on. Or you can take the phone home. A lot of the desktop phones now, you just plug a cable into them. You need to take them home and plug them into your home network and they work. And then the phone rings as if you're in the office. So there's many, many ways to work around these kind of problems now. So the idea of being taken out by snow days these days is, is pretty, pretty slim. If you've based your business around cloud systems, if you've based it around G Suite, zero for your accounts, a CRM system that's online, and maybe you've got a legal practice software that's also cloud-based, that's all accessed through Google Chrome, then if the weather gets bad and no one can get to work for five days, it doesn't really matter. It's slightly different if you're a manufacturing business because if you're a manufacturing business and people can't get into the plant, they can't manufacture anything, I understand, you know, that's acceptable. You can't make anything because nothing changes there. If you can't get to the factory, you can't make the stuff. But the rest of the business can carry on. Sales and marketing can carry on. The accountancy can carry on. Quotations can carry on. Payroll can carry on. All of those things can carry on that couldn't carry on before because people couldn't get to the office to do them. And that is a big, big difference. And you get all of that without having to spend any extra money or any extra planning or have any extra maintenance or have any extra IT people. You don't need any of it that you did need before. That's a massive, massive difference. And I know, I know from experience that most businesses don't have a disaster recovery or business continuity plan. They don't have them. They always talk about them and say, oh, we're going to get one, we'll do one. But no one ever does it because the cost is so high and the chances of it happening are so low that they just roll the dice and go, you know what, if it does happen, I'll deal with it. And that's okay because the chances are it won't, but it does happen to somebody. And when it does, it could finish your business off. If you've moved your business to cloud computing and you've based it around cloud computing, you don't even actually worry about that anymore. It's already built in. You've already got it for free. It comes with it. The system is designed. It does it by default out the box. You've got it. You don't have to think about it. So you can happily go, oh, yeah, I don't have a disaster recovery plan. I don't have this. Actually, I've got it on one sheet of paper. We work from home, we work from a shared office, or we go to Starbucks, or whatever it is. But you know what? You can come up with it a lot faster and a lot easier. And even if you're not inclined to ever come up with it at all, you can come up with it on the fly a lot faster as well. Right. That's quite a lot of information that we've already got now about the clouds. We're starting to understand a bit more. It's centralized computing again. It's in massive data centers that provide more power than any of us can ever get from our own computers. And it starts to give us massive advantage in business in that we are not having to spend lots of money to get systems. We have got no barrier entry to use new systems. We've got resiliency, disaster recovery, business continuity built in. We've got collaboration to save time and money. We're already starting to see a pretty powerful argument for why we might want to employ cloud in our business. But you might say to me, well, what type of cloud, Carl? I've heard about this, and there's a few different types of cloud. I've heard of a few different types of cloud. Which one are you on about? I've heard about these things. Okay, let's go through a few of the things that you might have heard. And usually, there's three types of cloud that people talk about. Private, public, and hybrid cloud. Let's start with private cloud. Private cloud, by the nature of the word private, means it's your own system. It's your own system that you build inside a big data center. So the problem that you're solving there is you're taking your computer systems, your servers and your hardware out of your own building and putting them into a what you might call a professional building for that purpose. It will have air conditioning. It will have high security. It will have backup power supply. It will have backup internet connection. The chances of that building going offline, so to speak, are really, really slim. That's the whole purpose of that building. And inside that building, you own... You will have cabinets that you can put your equipment in that you rent from that building owner. Now, private cloud is naturally private. It's your own equipment, it's your own specification. You can build exactly what you want, but it's expensive to do. 
because what are you doing? You're really upping and moving your equipment out of your own building and then putting it into somebody else's building and paying for the privilege of doing it. So you're so not only are you buying all the equipment, but you're now paying to put it in somebody else's building as well. So it's going to cost you more than doing it in your own building. But the advantage is you get to operate in a completely secure building with, as I said, air conditioning and, and internet access permanently and electricity permanently. And that is an advantage because your system's going to be available 24-7 and you can't always guarantee that if you put it in your own building. You know, you're not going to risk the theft. These places are very, very secure. But those, those leverages that you get with cloud of reducing the cost, reducing the need for technical skill and reducing the need for maintenance are not gained with a private cloud because ultimately you're still buying the equipment. You still need the technical skill to set up that equipment and you still need to maintain that equipment whether you do it yourself or you get a third party provider to do it. All you are gaining is that you are moving it out of your building and into a less risky building. And that really is the private cloud. Now it depends on what you what you do. Some companies will do this because they have the infrastructure and the and the money to do that and they will and they will have this concept that it's our data and I don't ever want it to be controlled by somebody else. It's my data and I want it on my systems. And okay. That's understandable in certain areas, particularly if you've got intellectual property that is highly valuable and you do not want to risk espionage or it being stolen or taken from you. I can understand why you may be a little bit paranoid about that. But since most of this country is made up of small businesses, I know I know that the data that you've got is probably out there already and people could probably have a go at nicking it already. And if they do want to steal it, they'll use other ways of doing it. Will you really get the advantage from a private cloud? I don't think you will. I really don't think that, that, that you will. You're actually just transferring what you've got into another place and paying a bit more for it. Private cloud is really not the solution cloud that you want as a small to medium business in the United Kingdom or anywhere else in the world, really, to be honest. It's not really, unless you've got a real specific dedicated reason and you'll know that reason for having it, the private cloud is not the direction that you want to go. But that's what the private cloud is. It's your own kit in someone else's data center. The next, public cloud. Well, public cloud, those are the ones that we're familiar with. That's Google, Amazon, Microsoft. These are apps like G Suite, Xero, Spotify, Instagram. These are all public cloud. Spotify is a great example. Spotify used to run a private cloud. Spotify used to run their own service inside data centers to provide that music streaming service. Then the CEO of that business and the CEO of that business realize that what that business does is deliver fantastic music to its consumer audience. That's what its purpose is. And it was spending millions and millions of dollars operating its own system instead of focusing on what it does best, which is delivering the service to its customers. So it moved its entire infrastructure to Google Cloud. Now, Google are responsible for running how Spotify performs, what it does in the backside, back end of things, what's, how Spotify is delivered. Spotify focuses on delivering its service to its customers. So Spotify has removed that and now it pays Google to run its system for them. It lets Google do what Google does best and Spotify does what Spotify does best. And that's how people at Spotify are using a public cloud. You access the services and it's the provider who makes that service work for you. Public cloud also allows you, as I've described with Spotify, it provides you with a platform that you can then build your own apps on in top on top of. So let's say you've got a brilliant idea for an app and you want to publish it and it's going to run on mobile phones and it's going to be it, you just somewhat brand new and it's awesome. You could buy all the equipment to run this yourself, but it's going to cost you a lot of money in hardware and you're, you're a startup and you don't have that. So what you can do, you can build it on top of the platforms like AWS or Google Cloud. You can build that app, produce that app, 
and then you can start to sell it through through the Google Play Store or the app at the uh, Apple Store for a fraction of the price it would cost you to build the infrastructure to run it yourself. You are using and leveraging the power of the Google Cloud or the AWS Cloud to build your application on top of. So this is where you may hear expressions like infrastructure as a service or platform as a service. This is where the cloud is providing you with a platform to build something on that then you can resell to other people. And that's the difference. It's a set of tools that you can build something on and then sell it to other people. How do you pay for it? Well, usually by the second for most of these public cloud services, it's that fine, it down to the second. You are gonna pay for how much resource, like so that's how much power, how fast you want your app to be, how quick you want it, how much storage you want to have. And you will pay by the second for when you're providing applications. If you're taking services like Google's G Suite, which is their productivity set of tools, so that's documents, spreadsheets, file storage, video calls, etc. Those things are usually provided on a per user per month basis. So there's a price for each person to subscribe to that service for a period of time and then you keep paying that. And there is a, that's the subtle difference here. If it's a fixed service that you're buying, you usually buy it on a per user per month basis. If you are going to produce a service to sell to your customers, you will pay by the second for the amount of power that you want to use. It's a subtle difference and it's a subtle place to be. Most businesses, most businesses in the UK that I've dealt with, this is a small to medium sized businesses, are not generally producing their own applications and services for their customers generally. They've got something else that they do. They're an accountant, they're a solicitor, they're manufacturing, they're a design agency. They've got, they're already got what they do. So they'll be buying G Suite per user per month. However, let's say you come up with that app idea. Well, that's when you will then buy a amount of Google Cloud computing power that you use to run your application and then you sell your application back to your customers at per user per month pricing. Right, hybrid cloud. Hybrid cloud is certainly a term that's, that's used a lot, it's banded around a lot. I hear it a lot in business conversations. I've got a hybrid cloud. What is hybrid cloud? Well, hybrid cloud really, it's enabling you to go from where you are now to where you want to be. Let's say you, you're fully on board with the cloud concept. You've listened to this podcast. You go, yeah, that's where I want to go. But right now, Kyle, in my building, I've got a rack, rack full of servers and it's old and it's not really good. And it's about time I bought some new kit, but I'm not going to now. I'm going to go this cloud route. How do I get from where I am now to where I want to be? And hybrid's how you do it. For example, you might decide the first thing that you want to move to the cloud is your email and your productivity software. So you you go, right, I'm going to go to G Suite. I'm going to go to G Suite. I'm going to use docs and sheets and slides and then Hangouts tool for instant messaging and Meet for video calls. And I'm going to use Google Drive to store all my files. And I'm going to get rid of my email server in my building. I'm going to get rid of my video communication server. I'm going to get rid of my file servers in my building. So those servers are going to go. However, I've still got this uh, ERP system. I've got this enterprise resource system in my manufacturing business that I can't get rid of yet. I can't move that to the cloud because there isn't a cloud version and I really have to use this. So you keep that. So you've got a hybrid. So you've got rid of some of your servers. 50% of your servers have gone out your rack, but you've still got two servers left that run your ERP system. You've not been able to migrate everything to the cloud yet. So you've got some in your building and some in the cloud, but you're getting there. And that's what a hybrid system becomes. It moves you closer to it. And this is perfectly acceptable to have a hybrid system. I'd love everybody to run everything in the cloud and, and we try and help people to do that as much as possible. But you can't always do it. There's sometimes something that holds holds you back to a bit of on-premise kit, kit, as it's called. And that's fine. As time goes on, more and more software will move to the cloud, more and more and more. In recent years, computer-aided design, which was always on in your building, which would require loads and loads of comp computational power, expensive servers, loads of storage, 
that has all started to move to the cloud and one of the biggest providers of that software which was autodesk for their cad software now have fusion 360 in which the software installs on your computer but all of the files are stored in the cloud so it's almost like a hybrid cloud solution software but the key is you don't have to store the files on your servers anymore. So if you've got a load of servers that have got running CAD and you've got all these files stored in your business, now you can move them all to the cloud because the software providers are starting to move you in that direction. And then there are other products such as Onshape, which is complete computer-aided design in a web browser. It runs in Google Chrome. Everything runs in Chrome. You just open the browser and you start doing CAD in the browser. You don't even have to install any software on your computer. You literally log in and start to work on any computer. And that's pretty revolutionary stuff. Ten years ago, there were, that was just a pipe dream. That was an absolute dream. And now it's a reality. So you can see that hybrid is the direction everybody is likely to go when they want to go to cloud. You're probably going to go through hybrid at some point, either if it's through your transition or your migration, or you've got to sit on a halfway hybrid house for a little while until the application that you're using in your business becomes available online. I've known people in the accounting because industry who've moved from using Iris, the Iris. cloud version of their software, not for accounts production, and hardly for anything, but Center does. And so Center, S-E-N-T-A, if you're interested, is now taking business from Iris because it has a full cloud version that you can run out of a web browser, which makes it a lot so flexible for your smaller accountancy businesses to change software and to run this software without having to have expensive upgrades and installations and all of the other time-consuming things that go with having a traditional IT system, they've now got the flexibility to move to a cloud-based system. And as they transition, that gets rid of the servers in their businesses, which means they don't have to have this hardware to look after. They don't have to have this device in the corner of the room. They can work from anywhere. It reduces their costs. It makes their business more effective because they've got less traditional IT to worry about. So hybrid is where everybody who wants to go to cloud will go at some point. It just depends how long you'll go there. Unless you're starting your business from scratch and you go straight to cloud from the very, very beginning. One thing that everybody's probably saying in the background, and I know people say to me all the time is, Carl, security. The cloud's a risk. My data, what's going to happen? What if I get hacked? And it's a fair question because cloud means you're accessing your data over the internet. There's no other way of putting it. You are accessing it over the internet. And the internet is literally all of the computers in the world connected together. Yeah, and that already, yeah, you can see. Now, that means all the other countries in the world as well. So that means the Chinese and all the other, the other nations in the world. And we do know that, that countries like the Chinese are known for international espionage. And we, we've heard it in the press with the Hawaii mobile phones that the US government won't allow those any longer because those chips were compromised. And it's very easy to get yourself into a state where you go, I'm not using the cloud because someone's going to steal my data. It's going to be totally insecure and I'll stick to having it in my building. Thank you very much. But we remember is the media put a spin on things for a reason. It's to make us watch their media programs and read their newspapers and things like that. So let's just break this down a little bit. What about security in the cloud? Let's take G Suite, for example. And I'm working on something that's very common in a small business. That's some documents and some spreadsheets. Encryption is used by Google completely throughout the entire process. And the moment you open the browser and access Google Docs, that is encrypted. When you type a key on the keyboard, everything that's on the screen is encrypted in transition to Google. Then at Google, it is completely encrypted. So it's encrypted while it's in transit, as it's called. So that means while you're using the computer. And it's encrypted while it's at rest, which means while it's in a data center. And furthermore, Google doesn't store any one document in any one place. So I couldn't theoretically 
go into a Google data center and pull out a hard drive of one of their servers and find a document on it, someone's document. That's not how it works. What really happens is when I create a Google document, it's in virtually torn up into about 10 different pieces that are encrypted and then spread out across multiple data centers. And it is only reassembled at the point in which I access the file over the internet. And it's reassembled using computer. It's reassembled in memory. It's not in one place at one point in time. So you can't break in and steal the data. And the data is encrypted in transit. And when you have an additional layer of security, two-factor authentication, which means when I log into Google, I have a little security key, a USB key that I have to plug in to prove who I am. Now, not every single day, because I use the same computer every single day. Google doesn't make me do that every single day. It recognizes that I'm coming from the same computer in the same place. However, if I log into my Google account on a computer at somebody else's business here, business, it will go, you've not logged in here before, and it will ask me to plug my USB key in. That's two-factor authentication. So that means if you've got my password, you can't get into my account. So you can see that the security in the cloud is actually very, very high. And I've said before, Go and have a look on YouTube for data center, Google data centers and have a look at the levels of security it takes to get into a Google data center. It's insane. Very, very difficult. You're not getting into one of those places. You wouldn't even know where they are, but you're not getting into one. Your data is way more safe in a data center in the cloud than it ever is inside your own building. I can absolutely assure you it is because breaking into your building is probably pretty easy because why would you spend thousands and thousands of pounds on high levels of biometric security and security guards and video cameras and notifications and all of you wouldn't you don't nobody does the data centers do so don't get fooled by the idea that cloud is dangerous it's not it just it will appear that way sometimes in the way that media present it but it is way 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 more secure than it is doing it yourself in your own building this is bringing us back now to some of the key questions is, okay, Carl, if I'm going to go cloud, why? What's the advantages of cloud? And what are the disadvantages? Because you haven't spoken about those yet, Carl. What are the disadvantages? Okay, so let's cover off some of those at this point. Certainly, you're going to benefit from a massive economy of scale, i.e., cloud apps will be more powerful than anything you could ever buy yourself. We've, we've talked through this. It's gonna, You don't have to buy expensive hardware, and there's no hardware that you can buy and stick in your building that's ever going to compare to the amount of power that you can add to an app or a service from the cloud. You can't do it. So you don't have to worry about that. It is significantly cheaper for you to build an application or choose to use a service in the cloud than it is to choose to buy the equipment to do it yourself. And that is the hardware and the software and the licenses. It is much, much cheaper to pay per user per month to do it yourself, that to do it in the cloud than it is to do it yourself. Disadvantage, flip side, you've got less choice in the cloud. You don't get any customization. You'll take the software as it is. Gmail, G Suite, there's loads and loads of customizations that you can do inside of the G Suite system and probably enough that you'd ever want to use, but you can't actually customize the code yourself it is what it is if it doesn't have a feature in it yet you can't add that feature you'll have to wait till it's available or it may never be available so there may be something that a cloud system does doesn't do that you want it to do and you can't do it you could only do it if you had it yourself but i've my experience nine times out of ten times me if you want to do that in your own business you have to have a set of developers and programmers to do it and most businesses don't so that is is it a really big disadvantage probably not as much as you might think it is Cloud, you may or may not own the data, your own data. That comes down to the legal terms uh, of what you can and can't do with the data in a cloud provider. And it is extremely important that you always understand that. For example, with Google and G Suite, 
you will find that you own all the data. It's in the terms and conditions. You always own the data. Google doesn't own your data. You own your own data. However, I can't say that every single cloud provider will be like that. So you do need to make sure that you've understood the legalities of what you're doing when you're working with a cloud provider and that the data belongs to you. Do cloud services go offline? Uh, yes, I'm not going to lie and say that they don't. They certainly do. And Office 365 has had its fair share of down and outages over the last six months. And if it goes offline, there's nothing you can do. You've got to wait for it to be fixed. You can't do anything about it. You can't fix it yourself. You simply have to wait for it to get fixed. However, there is a compelling case that cloud will be more resilient than your own systems will be. Once again, your own systems will break. And that's why there's IT support companies. And that's why I ran an IT support business for 18 years very successfully in fixing systems. Though they break. And... You can fix them yourselves, but you've, you've got to wait for it. This is against cloud where the downtime is extremely rare. So, okay, occasionally there's some outages, but they are very, very small. And I believe they are less than doing it yourself. The business can now focus on competencies and driving success instead of deploying resources and money on technicians and people like that. So you can focus on ideas to make your business better and then get systems to do it without having to worry about using IT people to do it, about paying for infrastructure. Gives you the opportunity to move and be agile and do lots of different things that you couldn't do before. It's a big advantage to cloud. You don't need as many internal employees in IT in your business when you've gone to cloud. The more you move to cloud, the less you'll need of that. You need good advice and you need people who understand cloud to help you know what the best thing is to do. But that's different to running a load of techs. And that means now that you can focus on the growth of your business instead of worrying about how much money you're spending on techs or how many techs that you have in your business. And that's the big difference that you've got there. Less internal IT people required, less people required from external IT providers, and you can focus on using people who understand cloud and help you grow the business through working with cloud. It minimizes the amount of outages that you have and it reduces complexity and simplicity is always, always the best thing to do. You can get massive advantages in the business by making things simple. You can make it standard and very, very easy because ultimately technology should be in the background to enable you to do what you want to do. You don't want to be thinking about how it works and there's too much time about the tech aspect of how this works and that features and this tweak and that tweak and it's just not needed anymore with cloud. Cloud enables you to use simple, nice devices that connect to the internet that enable you to use software to grow your business. That's where the value comes in and it puts you way, way ahead of other people who are still in there in the nuts and bolts of this version, upgrades with that version and all of that way of thinking. Well, this has been quite a long episode of No Techno Bubble. I've gone on a little bit longer than normally. I've started to, I thought this one was worth going into a bit more detail. And before we finish up, I want to think about where the future is. What's you know? What's your predictions for the future? Well, cloud is still in the ascendance. It's not going away. It's not reached its peak. We're not peak cloud yet. Connectivity is almost ubiquitous. In the next couple of years, we're going to see 5G make its breakthrough. And 5G is going to give internet connection speeds that are faster than all of us have got at the moment everywhere on any device. It's going to be transformational because it means that all our cars, our bikes, our clothes, anything can have sensors attached to it and be connected to the internet and be measured and monitored and connected to that is going to be transformational and that's happening over 5g over the next few years you'll also find less and less software you'll be able to buy and own 
because that model is in decline because the providers of software have realized that it's much more profitable for them to write software, put it into a cloud data center, and then you to access it via any device. It's simpler for them. They do one update and it works. They can constantly update the software and roll it out. So you get new features and benefits constantly as the customer. And it's a subscription-based model that works for them. So the idea of owning the software and buying it and owning it over a period of years is going to disappear anyway. So if you like that model, it's going to go. It's not going to be there. It's like now going into a car dealership and trying to buy a car directly with cash. You don't really see that happen very often. And the car dealer is not very happy if you do. They really want you to buy the car on a payment program so that every three years you can swap out for another car and an upgrade. And they can keep you in the life cycle of the business. They're not interested in you buying that car and owning it for 30 years any longer. That is not the model of car manufacturers or car dealerships. And software and IT and cloud is no different. It is all about subscription. Subscription is where it's at. We subscribe to our phones, to our cars, to our entertainment. And we are doing it with our business software as well. And one thing that many people don't think about and do talk to me about is with these, and they'll say to me about, well, young people, I don't get these millennials and Gen Zs and everything. Look, as more young people come into the workforce, they've grown up with cloud. It's all they've ever known, and they will expect to find cloud tools in the business they work for. And if you want the very best people in your business to enable your business to be the best it can do and to give you as the owner of that business the life that you want, You've got to give the people the tools that they expect. And young people expect cloud-based tools. Young people have grown up with Google. Young people expect to find G Suite and Google and video calls and WhatsApp and messaging and all of these collaborative tools. They expect to be able to work anywhere on any device and use their own phones and their own devices in your business. They expect this. And if you can't deliver that, they'll go find someone else who can. And I know people don't like this. They don't like it. They go, I don't like that way of doing it. I'm not going to do it. Okay, well, you can do what you like. The realities are the realities. That's what people expect, what young people want. And when you give them these tools, they will they will excel. They will blow your mind in what they can do because to them, it is bread and butter. It is natural. Remember, if you're like me and you're over 40, you didn't always grow up with computers in your life. They are still slightly alien in your mind, but they're not to a 25-year-old. They've been there all their lives. And to them, they are just ubiquitous with life. I probably ubiquitous has turned out to be like my grammarian word of the day in Toastmasters today. I think I've used it about four times. Maybe I should even take it to Toastmasters tonight. Anyway, that's an aside. The point is you want to make your business more attractive to young people. Advertise and let them know that you use cloud-based tools. You're a cloud-based business. You're a business that understands and loves technology and you will find it easier to recruit the right people and retain the best employees. I think we finally reached the end of it. One hour. That's an extend. That's like a double episode. And I've extended the length of this podcast. I'd be interested to know whether people enjoyed this longer length, whether you, whether you think this long form is more uh, of value than the short form half hour I've done before. Those who listen to it, I'd welcome you to let me know. Drop something in the comments or get in contact with me. You can contact me on Instagram at that technology guy. You can find me as Kyle Heath on LinkedIn. You'll find Kimberly.com for where the business website is. I'd welcome to know whether what I'm talking is valuable and helpful to you. I hope that it is. And I will see you on the next episode.